Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh my God. Times have changed. There are no rules. You're gonna love it. Hi, and welcome to Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. My name is John Bohm, I'm here with Ali Herbert Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge. But, Ali, we're doing things a little bit differently at the moment. Do you want to explain what's happening this week? We are, John. Every week we are um, talking about the episode of House of the Dragon that has just dropped. So this week we are talking about episode eight, and we have um, a very special guest joining us or returning to the podcast for those that are regular listeners, Sam Clench, political reporter at news.com. But as we all know now, he also, um, Moonlight as Australia's biggest and best Game of Thrones. Um, I won't just say fan, but I think like like the go-to person that understands where this fits in the universe, the books, the whole hog. So we're so happy to have you here, Sam, for your insights on this episode. Very happy to be here. Welcome back. We've also got House of Hammer, which is a documentary series that comes to us um, from the US this week about the American actor Army Hammer, um, who's been in the news a little bit in the last couple of months. And then we're going to get Sam's dinner party recommendations, the best shows from the vault um, or something new and cool that he wants to point out and would tell his friends about over dinner. Let's get stuck into it. Hey, John. Yes. Let's head to House of the Dragon. The crown cannot stand strong if the House of the Dragon remains divided. Who will take the Driftwood throne? This is a matter of blood. Nephews? Not ambition. As hand, I speak with the king's voice on this and all other matters. Those vipers rule in my father's name. Okay, so episode eight is streaming for you right now on Binge. Sam, once again, thank you so much for returning. We love to get your perspective on this show. It has been a few episodes of the podcast since we've been able to chat and a few episodes of House of the Dragon since we've been able to chat. So a couple of things. How are you feeling about where the series is up to right now as we sort of head into the final few episodes? What are the big revelations from from the episode we've just watched, episode eight? I'm excited about the two episodes we have left to come because I feel like this episode left off really on a precipice. The whole season, the whole first eight episodes have been building and building and building all of this tension, building towards some sort of conflict. And now with this episode obviously ending with the death of King Viserys, that conflict is right on the horizon. So all the build-up is over and we're about to really dive into the drama. I thought this was a really interesting character episode. You look at someone like Rhaenys, who's been sort of a peripheral character on the on the background of the show for a while. She really came into the fore, obviously Rhaenyra and Alicent as always. The children are really developing their own personalities as well now. They're, they've grown up. They keep growing up. This was another six-year sort of jump. Right? Yeah, another the big time jump. I was surprised by the size of the time jump, actually. But um, I know. I thought we were done with the big time jumps. So did I. But uh, <laughs> we've, got a new, we've got a new children cast again. I guess they're not really kids anymore, are they? But we have a new Aegon, a new Aemond, Rhaenyra's children are cast again. Two new um, children as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've popped out a few in the meantime. You have to reorient yourself again. Because the actors who are playing Alison's two eldest boys, um, Egon and Eamon, they've done a fabulous job in this episode. But it's kind of disconcerting because the guy who plays Eamon, who's the younger brother, one eye, looks about he looks about thirty years old in real life. <laughs> Whereas Egon, who's his elder brother, looks 
about 20. So I don't know. Those brothers aren't the nicest boys going around the hood, are they? Gosh. Well, for different reasons, right? I mean, Egon, he doesn't seem to have much interest in responsibilities. He just wants to go around um, enjoying himself, taking off his pants and whatnot. Playboy um, Prince, maybe we could call him. That would be a charitable assessment. Yeah. He's in that genre. Um, and Eamon, he's just creepy these days, isn't he? Yeah. So, Sam, you we've talked about this in previous podcasts, but you have read the book, Fire and Power, that this House of the Dragon is adapted from or based on. Initially, I was like, are we going to get the whole book in this season? We know that this series, House of Dragon, has been renewed for a second season, which is fabulous news. But are we at the end of the book, halfway through the book, at the beginning of the first chapter? Like, what are we going to get through, do you think, with only, as you said, only two episodes left to run in this season? We're sort of in the middle. of. So the author, George R. R. Martin, had his original series of novels, The Song of Ice and Fire, and that was the basis for the TV show Game of Thrones. This is sort of a spin-off book called Fire and Blood, which tells the history of House Targaryen, going back to generations before the people in this TV show. So what we're adapting in this show is a series of four or five chapters in the middle of that book. The first season, it seems, is covering roughly the first chapter of that little cluster. And then I think we're expecting another maybe three seasons after this, covering the rest of it. And are there other books on the other houses of the, of the families that we saw in Game of Thrones? Like are we expecting almost an anthology of the House of Stark or has that not, not been written yet? Not yet. I would not rule it out given how many spin-offs are being worked on at any given time. If listeners are interested in learning a bit more about all of these houses, then there is a book called The World of Ice and Fire, which is sort of a a very brief compilation of all sorts of stuff that they can go out and get. It's interesting. It's well illustrated. Uh, if you're a nerd like me, you might want to pick it up. Or if you don't <laughs> like reading, there's pictures. Yes, good point. <laughs> okay, so a few weeks ago um, when you were on, we talked a lot about the relationship between the Queen and Renea. As you said, it's eight episodes. The king has held on so long, hasn't he? He's kind of probably hung around 20 years longer than a lot of us thought. He's died, although even that was a little bit bit ambiguous at the end of the episode. Do you want to talk about that quickly? Yes. So, yeah, I watched this episode and, Sam, you obviously know a bit more, but I I watched it and I was like, has he died? Is it definitively that he's died in this episode or did I just misread the episode? I think it could be read ambiguously. Because I feel like even a few episodes ago there was kind of a scene where he, like, collapses you're and you're like, like oh, the yeah, king's dead, and then right, next actually. episode he's back. You're right. It was the end of episode five where he just <laughs> he literally fell over with, like, blood coming out of his head. Yeah. And then he just popped up alive again at, <laughs> when we did the time jump. This is by far the, like, most incapacitated we've seen the king. I'm, I'm not oh. expecting episode nine. He's going to be jogging on the beach. But I just wasn't sure if he was, like, definitively dead, dead. dead in this episode. He looks awful, doesn't he? He's missing an eye now. He looks terrible. He looks terrible. melting off. Um, he's got that mask to cover it up. Is that the whole um, maggot thing? You know, I, I think that's open to interpretation. I think clearly the maggots didn't do a very good job of helping him. Um, <laughs> But for whatever reason, he's he's not in a good place physically. And he's been a bit weakened at Bernie's for a while now, hasn't he? He's getting propped up and just kind of being reeled out. I've expected him to expire for about four episodes <laughs> straight now. And I think it's finally happened. The reason I think it's happened is the sound design. Because in that final scene where he's, he's in bed, um, his breathing is very prominent throughout that scene. And then at the end of the episode, it stops. 
whenever he does die, if he hasn't already, the aftermath is going to be very interesting because you, you've had all of these people sort of maneuvering for eight episodes now to put the pieces in place for whatever comes after Viserys. Um, but now it's all going to actually happen. And we've got to see who has the nerve to follow through on their plans, who's going to maybe flip sides, all sorts of mess could come from this. And actually they did something interesting with Alison and Rhaenyra that I was not expecting in this episode towards the end where I, I thought they'd settled into a completely hostile relationship with each other. But there's this little hint of reconciliation again at the end um, where Rhaenyra and Alicent, they almost come together and as though they're ready to act as partners. And that's where they leave off before the apparent death of Viserys. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops in the next episode at the very least, whether they continue to try to reconcile or whether it's just over again. I think everyone's keeping their options open because you never know where your power base is going to come from, I suppose. We've talked about Renea and Alicent's ongoing um, power struggles. What should we look into about Reneas, um, the queen who never was, her aunt, and Renea ultimately somewhat coming together in this episode or aligning? Yes. I mean, Renees is in an interesting position going into this episode because she is under the impression she believes that Rhaenyra had her son murdered. She thinks she thinks Lenor is dead and that Rhaenyra probably ordered that to happen. Mm. Um, so there's clearly a lot of tension and coldness between those two. We know it isn't the case. We know Lenor was alive. And, you know, Rhaenyra swears it to Rhaenys, but you can understand why Rhaenys would not believe her. Like because Lenor's supposed death, it was just it was too convenient mm. for her, right? She went and married her uncle like minutes afterwards. It's just too suspicious. Rhaenys does ultimately side with Rhaenyra in the matter of the succession for Driftmark. And I think there are a few ways you could read that. You know, does she take Rhaenyra's side out of loyalty to her husband? You know, as she says, Corlys had made it clear that he wanted Lucerys to be his heir. He never changed his mind on that. Is she is Rhaenys simply honoring his wishes? Or is she making a judgment that putting her personal feelings about Rhaenyra aside? putting aside what Rhaenyra may have done to Lenor, has she decided that the best option for her grandchildren is to side with her anyway? Is it like a combination of those mm. things? I don't know. I think it's left pretty open. Or is it still some, with her cousin dying and the king dying, it, there's still an element of the bloodline and the family kind of coming through. Mm. I also felt like Renaeus is kind of one of the un most unlucky people in the family tree, husband, daughter, son, she's obviously got her granddaughters, but how isolated she finds herself. And so in some ways the symmetry of her coming back into the family with that alignment, as you said, it was what her husband wanted, but it was also it's her blood, um, which is ironic considering how they overlooked her. It's the most family-aligned move. <laughs> yes. Look, I think family is a good it's just a good word to seize on for this episode in particular. I know the whole show is about a family and the, the breakdown of a family, but this one in particular, right? Because I, I really do feel like this episode was putting us on the precipice of what comes next. And part of that was this scene, extended scene with the whole family together. This dinner that they have together with Viserys. He's carried in in his chair where he can, he's barely awake, but he's been carried in. He's determined to like 
have a nice dinner with his family before they all go away again. So it's him. And then on one side, it's Allison and Otto and all their kids. And then on the other side, it's Rhaenyra, Damon and all those kids. And Viserys just wants them to have a nice unified evening together to make up, to be one family. And he actually gets that for, for like a scene. He does get that. He gets his family sitting around him, saying nice things to each other, making up, burying the hatchet. We are seeing what could have been if the characters in this story had made different decisions. We are seeing that it, it was possible for Viserys and Alison and Rhaenyra and all the rest of them to be one happy unified family. It could happen. It's like the showrunners are showing us what could have been to make it all the more tragic when that's ripped away, which we see with Viserys being taken from the room because he gets one of his, you know, I'm dying attacks. And so the last thing he knows is that they've all made up and they're all being nice to each other around the kitchen table. He can die now. He gets taken I out. can die now. It's okay. And then he gets taken out and it's like, like he's going to, he's going to die thinking that's the truth that they are making up and they're going to be fine. But once he's gone, it all goes to pot and the conflict breaks out and they're all at each other's throats again. And we see the truth, which is that that idealized version of the family we just saw for a single scene is not going to be able to be continued going forward. So it just adds a whole nother layer of sadness. Mm. To, we've seen what could have happened if these characters had not made such stupid decisions, but they did. I, that's what I felt like was so clever about this setup because to do a real political chess move, succession kind of move is so hard when there is still this sense of the opportunity of these people still being connected. Like it's pretty harsh to do that when you still think oh, I might love you or, you know, to really, really knife your blood. I feel like one of these children is going to do something dramatic that causes the the dice to be cast because it just, the, the kids feel like they're continuing to build as the loose cannons. But I don't want you to confirm or deny. I am not, <laughs> not going to say anything about that apart from its uh, very astute analysis and I look forward to seeing whether there's any truth in it. I'd love to hear from listeners, John, don't you reckon? Like, I think as we start to get down to the last couple of episodes, we got to get some theories kicking around. But before we get an accidental yeah. spoiler from Sam, why don't we leave episode eight there? As we have mentioned, there are two more episodes to go, but we are barreling towards the end of season one, which of course, Ali has mentioned, show's already been renewed. So I'm sure there's plenty more House of the Dragon in our futures in the years to come. But uh, new episodes of House of the Dragon are available on Binge each Monday at noon Eastern time. And of course, every episode of Game of Thrones is also streaming for you right now on Binge. The people remember the ancient strength of House Targaryen. The threat of war moves. Right, John, let's go from the House of the Dragon to House of Hammer. House of Hammer explores the shocking allegations brought against Army Hammer in 2021. This three-part documentary from Discovery also delves into the immense wealth and privilege of the Hammer family and its dark history. In the beginning, I felt like this was all perfect. This was amazing. He would say things, God, you're so perfect. How could you be this beautiful, this smart, so funny? It's like you are made for me. But then things changed. Ali, Sam, it's uh, unavoidable that you probably know more about Army Hammer than you wanted to over the last few years. That said, I felt like it was just the tip of the iceberg going into this documentary because it's just 
basically so much worse than I thought, having now seen these three episodes of House yeah, of Yeah, so just, let's just give a recap if you haven't been following along at home with this story. So Army Hammer, as you said, John, he's not an A-grade celebrity, but pretty good celebrity. Lots of you might recognize. He's pretty big. Um, he's not like Brad Pitt, yeah, he's pretty big. total Marvel hero big, but he was on the cusp of maybe becoming a pretty sizable movie star, things like The Social Network he was. He played the twins um, in that Facebook story. Um, but, yeah, kind of a star on the rise, very good-looking, chiseled jaw. Played the rich, uh, snobby guy yeah, in lots of things. Turns out, turns out uh, it was in a hard character. Yeah, so we kind play. of knew him through that. But then what happened over COVID is he's kind of persona unraveled through a series of Instagram and social media leaks where he um, had got into some quite unsavory sexual relationships. His marriage was breaking up. He formally announced that he was separating from his wife of many years, Um, but he got into what it wasn't kind of just um, like kind of quite in tense fear kind of based sexual activity, but there were, there were comments from women that, ha- that he'd been having relationships with that he was a cannibal. Like so he actually wanted to kind of eat their ribs and, you know, um, really dominate them. And then you just went down this spiral of, of not even just starts as internet kind of coercive control over these women and kind of hooking them in, but then allegedly a lot more. So this is like a really bizarre, you couldn't have written this story in Hollywood. You're just like how how this, the stuff that's come out. And as you said, you thought it might just be this guy. He's a bit of a creep and it's, and it's really creepy. What's ended up going beyond that though, is potentially a trauma, kind of an epigenetic trauma gene or some kind of inherited trauma that's come down the male lineage of this hammer family of, of previous violent activity. Um, is that a good way to kind of summarize what we're talking about here? I think, you know, everyone's probably heard the headlines of like, army is Army Hammer a cannibal and saw the Instagram screenshots and all that. And that's kind of like the surface entry level of this. But what I found really fascinating in the documentary is what, what you just spoke to, which is the idea that basically the Hammer family, which again, going into this, I wasn't familiar with are these like oil tycoon billionaires over the or last sort of century. They? Or some of the rich- House of cards, maybe, yeah. Well, some of the- yeah, some of the apparently richest people in the world. Um, and it just seems like the men in this family through wealth or privilege or genetics or whatever, the, the aunt describes as basically all the men in the family turn out to be monsters. And Army Hammer is just the latest, most sort of public version so, of that. So Sam, have you have you heard about this? So I don't know if you've had a chance to watch this documentary, but have three part series, but have you have you been kind of following along at home with this Army Hammer story? I've heard <laughs> Sporadic, disturbing stories is how I would describe it about Army Hammer. I haven't watched any of this series, so I'm more than interested to check it out and hear about it. The the things I've been reading is that almost, it's almost as though this family is like succession, but on steroids. Yeah. So let's start there. So Army Hammer's grandfather, is that what? Great-grandfather? Great-grandfather. Actually- Armand um, was born in Russia and came to America in the early 1900s and kind of defected from communism when he realised that he wasn't going to make money in Russia under that regime and came to America and kind of erased his, I mean, back in the 1900s, he didn't have social media and everything, kind of started his reputation from scratch and ended up marrying his third wife. He marries kind of for money and he uses the money from that relationship to buy shares in what is at the time a very small oil company. He ends up turning that oil company into a really big oil company and that's where the kind of billions come from. He's He laughingly says, I would never be president because it's not enough power. But, you know, you, you see images of him hosting 
this is not a good documentary for Prince Charles and very timely considering he's become king who has a, a somewhat dodgy association over the years potentially with him. There's images of him hanging out with the king and um, the queen of England, Diana, every president. There's a, there's a snippet plate of JFK ringing him and almost saying, oh, hello, are you free? How are you? As if like, can I disturb you when this is the president ringing you? You just, you know, you can just see the power. So this guy went on to make a hell of a lot of money, but when he ultimately dies, the billions is really only about $40 million, and that does set off a cat amongst the pigeons of a succession plan, Sam, because the family are scrambling for money and there's a history of the sons in this family lineage not being accepted or, you know, always trying to prove their worth to their father. So in that regard, yeah, you could be hanging out with the Roys in succession, but the competition that happens between cousins and and he's looking for a male strong person to, to, to take the lead in the family. And that is actor Army Hammer's dad who kind of becomes the king in the structure, doesn't he, John, when, when the grandpa dies. Mm. But what really comes out here is there's a, there's a family pattern and behaviour probably triggered by the trauma. There's either alcoholism um, or violence that plays out, um, incest. It's just, just disgusting. And 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 if it's to be believed, a, a view that women are disposable and controllable um, and completely there to be delivering to your various needs. So why does this documentary matter, John? Why do we need to watch it? It's It's like from a tabloid kind of pop culture way, it's like, oh, I can finally get the headline behind this story. I've been kind of semi-following on social. But it actually goes a lot deeper. It's it's a it's a disturbing sense of this guy's really damaged. Like what happens from here? He's not, he's obviously potentially a bad guy, but you don't end up just looking at him like a bad guy. I found I was like, there's a victim element going on here as well, because his family's so royally stuffed unfortunately and and fortunately we have seen a, a lot of documentaries in this space recently which is great because they're you know actually speaking about these um things that are happening very publicly but what is quite different to this is the sort of generational aspect of it and what fathers are teaching their sons or what's happening in a family that just continues to create children like this and i think that's what goes beyond the like tabloidy you know cannibal headline stuff um but i would say the other sort of fascinating and incredibly modern part of this documentary, which I think is produced very well and presented very well in the documentary is because a lot of this happened, a lot of the army hammer stuff happened during COVID and lockdown. So much of the story is told through DMs, Mm. which is, which is how people meet and communicate and all that now. But I think the documentary does, does it in a really effective way to tell this, tell these stories a lot of the time that have just happened over DM and, and texts does a really good job of bringing it to life. So I thought that was another really interesting aspect, but yeah, it's fascinating. It's, it's obviously um, a difficult watch with really heavy um, sub subject matter. So obviously go into, go into it with that sort of understanding of, of what's going to be covered, but yeah, it's fascinating on, on a number of levels from the tabloid celebrity side to the history side, to the psychology of it all. But yeah, really sort of hard to talk about, but interesting and absolutely, absolutely worth it. John, didn't that make um, you also feel the arrogance of Army Hammer? Because to do so much of what he does with evidence on a phone of texting someone what you're what you're suggesting is it's just so cocky. He's on he's on videos and on a private Instagram channel, but still some people find it and follow him. He's doing drugs, he's dr- drug driving, he's drink driving, he's you know, he's being explicit in, in 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 written text form about what he wants to do to control someone. I'm yours. You're my slave. Like it's like manipulation of people with an abuse of power. 
Yeah, it absolutely just speaks to privilege and power and money. And in the case of the, the Hammers, they've been getting away with this for a century. So why would they think they wouldn't continue to get away with it? So yeah, it's fascinating on, on, on a number of levels, but also very, very um, confronting. All three episodes of House of Hammer are streaming now on Binge. On the outside, we were a perfect family, but magnify succession a million times. And it was my family. If you believe about making deals with the devil, the hammers are top of the totem pole. Well, Ali, should we, for a change of pace, maybe get some dinner party recommendations from Sam? Awesome. That would be great. I'd love to hear what on binge you recommend, Sam. Well, uh, I won't pretend that I have any great experience with this show, but I the other night I was the first time ever watching the new season of the great British Bake Off. Which is oh, have we got I, a new I Bake Off never, nerd amongst us? We absolutely do. I only saw half the episode, but I'm already hooked. I've never watched any cooking shows and I've hardly watched any reality shows, but I don't know something about watching these people compete to make the best red velvet cake. <laughs> I, so what, I don't know. It was compelling television. What made you dive in? Just, it was on the carousel. John was tempting you when you press play. I walked into the kitchen to make a coffee and it was just on the TV. My mum was watching it and um, I stayed Yeah. In the, in the kitchen and I kept watching it and I want to watch more of it. Well, and you- I, I mean, I gather this is sort of a phenomenon already. So I, I feel like it's no great. It's, it's almost, it's almost impressive. You've avoided <laughs> like one of the biggest reality shows in the world. I feel like I you are joining a big, I feel, I feel yeah. like, I feel like someone who's just stumbled across game of Thrones in 2022 or something. Reading sort of people's tweets and comments and stuff about it. There's definitely a comfort to the show that I don't think you get from like, you watch the real housewives of Beverly Hills for a different emotional response <laughs> than you watch the great British bake off. And I think there is something, and especially over lockdown and everything, a lot of people discovered bake off because it's just so calming and it's very low stakes and it's a revelation you right now telling me why i like this show because you just yeah <laughs> because it's so good natured it's just feel good right yes. it's not like these other reality shows where they're all we're all just having a go at each other and like competing tooth and nails it's just a bunch of people who like making cakes making yeah cakes. and they're all so nice British. to each other have cake and, and a cup of tea yeah and they all just want to yeah. encourage each other and be nice to each other. It's wonderful. It's so good natured. Yeah. And because you have to see how the cake turns out or how the what like the whatever turns out, you have to watch the whole thing. And then before you know it, you're watching the next episode. So yes. What's the other cool news on Bake Off, John? Because you and I follow social tweets. We listen and, and look at all the comments of people and, and and take on board what they're asking for. But what have we just done with the rest of Bake Off? Yeah. So obviously, um uh, longtime binge viewers will know that we've always had the latest season, which has always been very exciting and as Sam has noted, the new season has just started um, on Binge, but very excitedly, um, only a week or two ago, we finally got every episode ever of The Great British Bake Off back up on Binge. So Sam, even if you are going to have to wait a week between episodes, just go back to season one, episode one, and you watch from the very <laughs> how beginning. Many seasons, how many yeah, seasons are there? Because I'm going to need to... 13. 13. We've now got right, 13 so seasons. 13 seasons of... 
You can <laughs> yeah. in my calendar. So lot, there's a, lots of there's cakes, a red velvet cake muffins. challenge probably in every season. I would <laughs> I wouldn't assume. Yeah. But Sam, excellent suggestion. Um, and a nice, no pun intended, like palate cleanser between some of the other things that we we talk about and watch week to week on binge. Um, so Sam, thank you so much for joining us again this week. Um, your expertise in the world of Game of Thrones and now Bake Off um, is very much appreciated. This week we did discuss House of the Dragon episode eight. House of Hammer and Sam very wisely suggested that you all check out the Great British Bake Off. All of these are streaming for you now on Binge, which of course you can find on your favorite device. I'm John Bohm, joined every week by Ali Herbert Burns. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Chris Yates. And we'll be back next week with more House of the Dragon and more Skip Intro. Mm-hmm.